again Don't know where Don't know when But I know we'll meet again Some sunny day Keep smiling through Just like you Always do till the blue skies drive the dark Does anybody here remember? strike or tsunami of top quality dairy nutrients wash the islands of New Zealand away? Oh well, I'd better start the show then. Cue bumper and intro. Hi, my name is Emmy from the Vegan for Life podcast, which you can find at vegan-for-life.blogspot.com and you're listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah, well. Let's get it right. You used the word animals, but I suppose what you should have said is non-human animals. Welcome to episode 71 of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals, New Zealand Apples and Pears Take on the World. Well, we somehow survived instant demonstration once our smartphone clocks hit 2012, 6 billion people didn't fall through plate glass windows to their deaths on the streets below their single story houses. How was your New Year's Eve? Lots of drunk people? Police with riot shields and batons? I went downtown to Wachner Place in Vicargal in a bustling CBD. Free music and big crowds. Existence. Twenty twelve from Invercargill, New Zealand. Yeah, it was exciting alright. No giant explosion, just a confetti bomb thing, like someone pushed a button and a whole bunch of confetti went boom and uh, took about two seconds to hit the ground. So that was exciting. Okay, well, one thing I'm actually excited about is always to hear the first song of the new year. The first song I hear. No cheating. I don't play any music until I've heard a random song passing by. The live band picked a good song. 
to mutilate. on the Thriller album. The chorus wasn't horrible, but the famous solo was reduced to this. I'm not sure if he's ever heard the solo before. Michael Jackson would roll over in his grave hearing that, but I'll let Kanye West critique it. Me. Baby, this is tragic, cause we had it, we was magic, I was flying, now I'm crashing, this is bad, real bad, Michael Jackson, now I'm mad, real mad, Joe Jackson, you should leave your boyfriend now, I'ma ask Harsh but fair. Of course, we all know how the real solo is supposed to go. Somebody knocks on the recording booth door in three, two, one. Marvellous song. An interesting video showed up early in the new year. A killer whale, or orca, beating the hell out of sharks. The sharks beaching themselves in an attempt to get free from the whale. All this happened about an hour's drive from where I live. So, I guess the list of dangerous animals found on land here in New Zealand expands from just that bloody spider from Australia to including sharks. Snakes on a plane meet sharks on the beach. A video of a family recording the thrashing and the breaking waves, the sharks coming up onto the sand and getting stuck, whirling about while a dog, trained to hurt and kill pigs, growls and snaps at the much larger shark, can be found in my show notes. I'd like to say hello to Nick Pendergrast, who emailed me saying, I started listening from the Four Corners live export episode, which was great, and have listened to all of the episodes since then, as well as some of the older ones. Thank you for letting me know you listen, Nick. New Zealand radio show Animal Rights and Wrongs is changing hosts. Deborah and Eric are stepping down and leaving the show in the hands of new host Julie Gunn. I got a hello on the second last episode of the current format from this radio show broadcast in New Zealand capital, Wellington, bottom of the North Island, for a listener at the bottom of the South Island. 
our thoughts uh, go out to you, of course. Now, I'd like to say a special good morning to um, someone I know who always tunes in, or at least podcasts later because he works on Saturday mornings, and that's Jordan Wyatt, who has set up the Invercargill Vegan Society. Uh, Jordan tells me that he wanders about in uh, Pack and Save trying to avoid making eye contact with the flesh morgue section as he uh, browses the tofu, fresh fruit and vegetable uh, sections while he's listening to the sounds of animal rights and wrongs. Uh, So hi to you, Jordan, whenever you are listening. And a happy Christmas. Yes, well, that's right. And And a happy New Year's to you too, Eric and Deborah. Best of luck with your future endeavours. An odd story from the Southern Times. Fears neglect on the rise as young fail to work the land. Starving neglected cattle and sheep threaten to become an increasing problem as ageing farmers struggle to move off their land. The average age of a cattle and sheep farmer is now 58. Federated Farmers President Bruce Willis, or Bruce Willis, I always call him Bruce Willis, (laughs) you know, die hard, apparently die of old age here, apparently, said the lack of young farmers was deeply concerning for the industry. More than half of New Zealand's income came from agricultural exports, he said. It is what runs our hospitals and educates our kids, especially when they send Iron Brian in to tell them, eat lots of New Zealand beef and lamb, kids. We have nothing that can replace the agriculture industry. Yes, he said it. We have nothing that can replace the agriculture industry, says the guy in charge of it. The high cost of buying a farm was preventing young people from entering farming. Economists say the average deposit needed to buy a farm has soared to $1 million, forcing many farmers to hang on to their farms as the younger generation bows out. Meanwhile, the Ministry of Agriculture and Forestry is having to kill animals neglected by farmers too old to look after them. About 90 malnourished and worm-infested cattle were removed from a Manawatu farm in September last year after the elderly owner inadvertently let his stock suffer. MAF put down a third of the cattle. Farming insiders said at the time that the potential for ageing farmers to neglect their animals was a growing concern. It's what pays the bills of this nation. We can make a decent living and we don't have to rely on welfare to support the family. Will, Willis, damn it, I said it again, Wills, said the country had to make farming more attractive to young people to stop it becoming a bigger problem. We want these young smart kids coming out of university saying, we like the look of farming. ANZ, which is a bank, issued a stark warning in November of a lost generation of New Zealand farmers. Bank economists estimated a new farmer would need more than a $1 million deposit to purchase a dairy farm, or up to $2 million for a sheep or beef farm. Lifting pay, increasing rural broadband speed, and moving away from an undeserved, dirty farming image could attract more young people, he said. We're forced to bring offshore workers to our farms. We have to do that because we can't find enough Kiwis to work on our farms. But he said there was hope for the future, and that ANZ had launched a $60 million fund for farmers hoping to step up in agriculture. An undeserved reputation for being, quote, dirty? After farmers succeeded in polluting 89% of the waterways in my part of New Zealand? Undeserved? Really? Hell, I sort of agree with the article, though. Farmers are being underrated. They're probably polluting even more. Is farming the be-all and end-all? Wouldn't we all be running around naked, living in caves, living in sin, without killing tens of billions of animals each year, without exploiting the female, and the male, reproductive system? Why, they're my vegan friend living in Invercargill, Dan, the first vegan I'd ever met in person, was. She was just minding her own business when some extreme vegan animal rights activist started spouting off brainwashing propaganda on television. You can already tell a computer what to do thanks to the latest in voice recognition, but what if it could answer back? Technology companies say they're now building computer systems which can hold proper conversations with human beings. Channel 4's Benjamin Cohen reports. Technology you can have a conversation with. Devon's calling, Michael, and if you ask me, not a moment too soon. It's something we've been promised for decades in films and TV series like Knight Rider, artificial intelligence that really is intelligent. 
Technology companies now claim to make products that understand not just the words we say, but the meaning behind them. But does it work in the real world, outside of the glossy adverts? To put it to the test, I tried to spend a day just speaking to my shiny new gadgets. So I'm going to start with the iPhone 4S, which has a piece of technology on it called Siri. I'm going to speak to it and ask it what I've got on. And at the moment, the presenter is sitting at his breakfast table, and here's a product placement looking thing, oatly milk. So it's presumably vegan, a plant-based milk made from oats, oat milk. What am I doing today? You have a couple of meetings for today. Okay, so the first thing I've got to do is to meet my producer, Jeff White, uh, for lunch at the French Institute in Kensington. How do I get to the French Institute in Kensington? Sorry, Benjamin. I can only look for businesses, maps, and traffic in the United States. So the iPhone isn't going to be able to help me because its voice recognition system, Siri, doesn't have any maps or addresses in the United Kingdom. So I'm going to try this, the new Windows phone. Ah. I'm going to ask it the same question. French Institute. And it sent me to a place called Edwards, which is in Colorado in the United States. Typical. I think it's back to the old-fashioned methods. But it turns out my producers stood me up and I'm here in a French restaurant. I speak barely any French and I'm pretty picky about what I eat. Pretty picky about what I eat? I'm pretty picky about what I eat. But luckily there's a new Google Android phone that claims it understands my voice so well it can translate what I'm saying in English into French. Bonjour. Do you serve vegan food? Awesome. Oui, nous avons des salades. Ah, merci beaucoup. So exactly what my phone asked for. No meat, no milk, a totally vegan meal. So. But the chances are one way or another you will be speaking to a device like this soon. Pretty picky about what I eat. Well, that's a great way to describe being vegan when you go to a restaurant and he sits on a skin chair. Although, gee, that makes me sound picky. Um, like, you know, the vegan police or something, like I drive around in a green smart car and sort of shoot green laser beam things out of my fingers and go, yeah, and give a high five to my other vegan police friend, Scott Pilgrim. I'd rather walk barefoot through hen poop, sorry, dairy nutrients, than touch dead skin, though. Isn't it great that a random television news report seen apparently all over the world featured a vegan who worked his veganism into the story like a virus? Like I always say, five years ago, I'd never heard of veganism, so to grow up watching the television news, well, okay, so kids these days grow up watching television news on YouTube, and hearing about veganism in a random story, to see vegan food being ordered, plant-based milks being drunk, I think it's great. Hey, another one of these vegan nut jobs jumped in on the opportunity to promote veganism when his local newspaper covered the Tianel Rodeo, where grown, often overweight men throw baby animals to the ground to show them who was boss. I hear even encouraged his Facebook friends to vote en masse on that poll, that rodeos were not a great spectacle, that they were animal cruelty, shifting the votes from around 50-50 to well over 80% against, with many posting the requested vegan comment. Why, the cheek of these vegan freaks. It was a yes or no question, and they had to go and invent a third choice, veganism. Look at what they did. Speaking out in such numbers, the editor saw the page views for that article shoot up, and so they wrote the next day's main opinion piece for the newspaper on the topic, as if there was some validity on being against harming other animals. And the article started off about, quote, rednecks and liberals, making it seem to be an issue of politics and social class. Check out this guy's rant. Political affiliation doesn't come into it. You could be a money-kissing actor or an environmentally friendly greenie. The issue is about harming other animals. Keep politics out of sport was the war cry decades past. New Zealand breaking a ban on playing South African sports teams back in the 80s. There was a sporting boycott on the whole country due to policies of apartheid and racism, with many rural right-wing rugby fans saying that sport was to be kept out of politics 
Rugby is more important than human rights. But issues such as human rights and animal rights, animal rights are human rights, we other animals, transcend wanting to play some little game of sport. I've attended local rodeos before, and it's pretty plain to see the distress and fear as the other animals are being thrown about in the dirt. A festival of treating other animals as things, indeed, as they are described as its rather than he or she here in this article, we can do so much better in 2012. Quote, We are entitled to have mixed feelings about rodeos. Some among us just want to feel the adrenaline. Some just want the rest of us to cut it out and leave animals alone. Period. Most, surely, see a large middle ground that affords room for manoeuvre, giving rodeo a future based on appropriate controls and behaviours to be fairly expected of man and beast. You know, the beast, these baby animals, like they're this wild animal, like a beast, some kind of crazy werewolf. They're baby cows and, you know, bulls, mostly, and sheep and lambs. We most certainly cannot find a middle way. Either we are for harming and killing someone, or we are fully against it. How would you nicely throw another animal about? Drug them up so they feel nothing but happy thoughts all throughout? A rink lined with cotton wool, the best kind of wool? Soundproof glass around the brain, an inebriated mob? Even after the construction of this hypothetical hundred million dollar stadium in Tiarnau, a tiny town of a couple thousand people, we'd still be left with the issue of seeing other animals as mere playthings to be dominated in a public display of humiliation. As the English socialist, socialist? I think, you know, I've got a sociologist down here. He's probably a socialist as well. Dr. Roger Yates might say, it's a matter of societal norms, what we see as normal, and what we ourselves participate in. If we grew up believing it was okay to harm cats and dogs, we would do so while mocking, fretting liberals, wailing exhortations to look into the animal's eyes and see the anguish. We have grown up otherwise, where we currently have a demand from mainstream New Zealand for harsher penalties on those who harm animals, as in cats and dogs, with some being so enthusiastic as to wish for a death penalty to those who would hurt a cat or dog. Might these same people attend rodeos? Quite possibly. Yesterday, I drove past four Southland slaughterhouses with a friend. We live in a province where you'll find vet clinics next door to meat warehouses. Photo of that. Where only a two-lane national highway separates the community swimming pool and a gigantic slaughterhouse. And where we celebrate Cardigan Bay. Quote, the world's first million-dollar pacer. A horse forced into dragging around a little Napoleon for the athlete, the human, to receive glory, for the owners to receive exorbitant profits. Right behind the sign to Cardigan Bay, the tribute to this wonderful racing horse, is a slaughterhouse, aptly demonstrating the link between the two industries, exploiting animals for our sport, of exploiting other animals' weakness to stainless steel and violence for our dinner plate. There's a photo. We can choose not to harm others, human animals and non-human animals alike. Deciding to be vegan is a great New Year's resolution. Jordan Wyatt, Invercargill Vegan Society, all animals are equal. HTTP colon slash slash www.invsoc.org.nz What a freak! A vegan freak! Here's another article from the Southland Times on the rodeos. Under the headline of Rodeo Ready to Entertain, the three to th- 4,000 people who'd show up. Quote, The club would also be putting on a display with the rodeo's 30 horses. The horses would be led into the arena, where they would parade to music. Last year, the parade had caused, quote, tears on the bank for those touched by the spectacular display, Mr. Mosby said. Tears on the bank, indeed. Oh, I am so overcome with emotion seeing animals being made to move in procession about a dusty circle. That really tops off a hard day's watching baby animals being thrown to the floor. Dang, this is quality entertainment for the whole family. Sniff, sniff. Imagine a world where these crazy vegans took over. We all know how the future of New Zealand should be. 
A quick history lesson. Helen Clark was the Prime Minister of New Zealand for basically a decade. See, in some countries a woman with the initials HC can make it to the top. Cullen was a finance minister or whatever, and Fonterra is a dairy monopoly owned by the farmers themselves. And, until we won in 2011, woo! it seemed that the greatest rugby playing nation in the world was destined to somehow lose every World Cup. Yes, more than one country enters our World Cup. Interestingly, we won the original in 1987, and in 2011, both played in the same exact stadium, Eden Park, in New Zealand. We can't win the World Cup unless we're playing in New Zealand. This satire was on TVNZ, our national broadcaster, a program called Facelift, where actors put on all kinds of crazy latex masks and makeup to, you know, make fun of politicians. The year 4000. Okay, class, who can tell me what these islands are called? Mindy? Helen Clarkistan, Mr. Spork. That's right, Helen Clarkistan. Now, what was unusual about Helen Clarkistan? Oh. Mindy? It was destroyed by a plague, sir. Yes. Prong, what are you chewing? It's broccoli, sir. Spit it out, boy, you know it's bad for you. Okay, and what sort of plague was it? Don't know. Early 21st century. Ocean levels rising. Oh, come on, doesn't anyone download their history text braincast? That wasn't until 2090. No, it was a plague of... These. Now, as far as archaeologists can tell, an ancient cult known as... Fonterra used to worship these creatures, and holy men, known as dairy farmers, used to keep swarms of them. But they did turds everywhere. <laughs> yes, thank you, Prong. <laughs> Eventually, these cows became so popular that the entire landmass was submerged under a six-metre brown layer known as the Poo Boundary. Luckily, a crust formed over this layer made out of... these. Now, who can tell me what this is? Armstrong. Cow poo? Mindy? It's money, sir. People used to worship that too. That's right. And the dairy farmers and a man called Michael Cullen had so many of these things that we were able to build our entire civilization right over the top of it. Okay, I want you to telepathically send me a thousand word essay on why the All Blacks haven't won the World Cup in 2,000 years in my frontal lobes by tomorrow, people. Here's a positive story from the New Zealand Herald. The fact is, we are getting more and more obese. New Zealand is now the third fattest nation in the world. OECD Obesity Statistics, June 2011. And our obesity is the cause of the growing Diabetes 2 epidemic, which is becoming the number one cause of preventable death. More than half of all New Zealanders are overweight or obese, and obesity claims the lives of more than a thousand people each year in this country. You know, a country of four million, by the way. Twice the number killed in traffic accidents. Thirty years ago, nobody would have imagined that cigarette advertising would be banned, workplaces would be smoke-free, and that cigarettes would attract an exercise, an excise tax, sorry, of 24 cents a cigarette. We could do with an exercise tax as well. Well, tax break for exercise, perhaps. The opinion piece article goes on to suggest a sugar or fat tax. Remember the Marlboro man who rode across billboards, cigarette hanging from his lips? Remember Benson and Hedges, which sponsored the tennis, Rothmans, which sponsored the cricket, all brands promoting healthy living, while the exact opposite was the truth. The mantle of misleading advertising has now been taken over by the food and beverage industry, which promotes its fat and sugar-laced products as the key to healthy living. It took a tax to dramatically slow smoking addiction. A tax on sugar and fat products would do the same. The effect of a tobacco tax led to immediate and permanent dramatic falls in cigarettes sold. Since 1991, the price of cigarettes has doubled, and the volume sold is now a third of 1991 sales. Ministry of Health, AC Nelson data. We now have two newer addictions, sugar and fat. 
These are the major causes of diabetes type 2, which is responsible for the biggest percentage increase in our health budget. Look at our current sponsors of sports teams. Sporting events, we get singing and dancing mascots in primary schools. More often than not, it's Fonterra, the dairy monopoly, as well as their smaller brother, New Zealand Beef and Lamb. Now, cow's milk is even going to be handed out in primary schools each day to get young children hooked and to buy PR for Fonterra, who had a terrible year in public relations of price fixing, massive profits, uh, the average Kiwi family being unable to afford the two litre of milk, uh, polluting our rivers. It was nothing, it was just terrible news for them. But Jordan, the farmers say, this country would go to hell if we all gradually went vegan over a reasonable period of time. Our whole economy relies on killing animals and abusing female reproductibility. To which I say, I, uh, well, once upon a time, some guy got it into his head the world would explode once his iPhone 4 ticked over to 2012, and that didn't happen. The end of the world is overhyped. You know, once upon a time, this country had a sponsor to be proud of. Bugger tobacco companies and alcohol advertising on sports racing. Guys, look up the America's Cup. And by the way, those Americans keep the hilarity flowing. This one's the opposite. The America's Cup is actually international. This little country at the bottom of the world decided to get serious about it in the late 80s, early 90s. A country of just a couple million people back then. But see, living where they did, on a couple islands at the arse end of the world, they kinda had a hang of this water thing, at least in its liquid phase. Back in 1995, they designed, built, and crewed the fastest racing yachts in the world. And one in particular, NZL32. You know, with funky victory music from 1995 like this, why is our population only at 4 million? Probably a massive swell of baby making around 1995. America's Cup is now New Zealand's Cup. Damn straight. There's a lack of common sense these days. You don't start a land war in Asia, and you don't bring a team from a freaking continent to a sport belonging to island nations. Have I just gone off on another trademark coexisting with non-human animals patriotic tangent? You know, like when I have a seven minute intro playing Michael Jackson music and complaining about live performances of it? Well, no. See, the interesting thing about our America's Cup winners, the boats had an amazing sponsor. New Zealand fruit brand, Enza, once prominently sponsored our entries in the America's Cup, when the whole world saw us give America a spanking when it came to racing wind-powered boats. We had huge logos for Japanese car maker Toyota, national broadcaster, think the BBC, TVNZ, our gambling giant Lotto, the international Steinlager beer brand, and, right in the middle, with the logo of a green pear, a red apple, and a straight-edged font in the middle, very Invsoc, Enza. Imagine that, New Zealand-grown apples and pears, being a major sponsor of our winning team, of our world-record-beating boat. Talk about a sense of national pride. Until the Invercargill Vegan Society sponsor Ferrari and the Formula One, it's hard to imagine a more entertaining sponsor. I've contacted Enza to see if they have any brand merchandise. It's a fun logo, and I'd love to have some stickers to be proud of my country's mighty export of apples and pears, you know, fruit. By the way, their email address is info at enza.co.nz. Info Enza? Infoenza? Influenza? Infoenza? Great marketing, guys, especially since that damn Australia kept a ban on our export because a couple bugs being found, like, a hundred years ago. After almost a century and a long, bitter battle, New Zealand apples will soon be heading for Australia. Orchardist here are welcoming the ruling by the World Trade Organisation that our apples are safe for export across the Tasman. Aaron Somer reports. A ray of hope after a nearly 90-year grapple over apples. 
New Zealand growers finally getting the news they've been waiting for. It's fantastic. We're just thrilled that it's uh, that finally we've been vindicated. The World Trade Organization's ruled Kiwi apples are safe to enter Australia. I do believe that uh, Australians will be chomping their way through New Zealand apples before too soon. At the core of the issue, fire blight. A breakout of the disease in Northland led to Australia banning our apples in 1921. For years New Zealand's been trying to prove our apples are safe. Experts have now confirmed this and an Australian appeal to the WTO has been thrown out. The decision by the World Trade Watchdog opening up a market just across the ditch. Pipfruit New Zealand, the organisation representing apple growers, says Australian exports would only be 5% of the total market, but at half a million cases of apples per year, the organisation says that could be up to $30 million in extra business for kiwi growers. It basically extends the local market from 4 million people to 24 million people. But across the Tasman they're not so optimistic. Ah, boo-hoo. Sad day for the Australian apple industry. My fear is five line. And uh, if there was any chance of it coming in, then, uh, then it would be devastating. Restrictions are still in place pending a review of Australia's quarantine policies. If the Australians don't allow New Zealand apples in, in the spirit of the decision that was reached in Geneva last night. What are they going to do next? Take us to The Hague? Then uh, we'll certainly take that up with Julia Gillard. It could be at least 2012 until the Aussies take a bite of Kiwi apples. Aaron Soma, One News. It's been a long bone of contention between our countries, with the noticeably inferior Australian apples being protected in their own market, since our exports were banned because of some little bug a million years ago. But now, thanks to our friend Free Trade, New Zealand pear pathogens, New Zealand apple agents of infection, will take Australia by swarm. Here's a political satire about the situation, from the same facelift program. Anzac soldiers in the Second World War, Australia and New Zealand. Talking about differences in life, the underarm joke references typical Australian underhandedness <coughs> in sport, and that one of their cricket bowlers deliberately bowled underarm once. So the New Zealand batter couldn't hit the ball as it barely rolled across the pitch. Righteously unfair, even the Australian players booed their bowler, the crowd, and New Zealand as a whole, won't let those buggers live it down, in the same way they hold this grudge about our apples, apparently. Gee, wouldn't it be nice to live in countries where our biggest worries about how the other guys play sport? Or where your biggest threat is competition from New Zealand apples? There's one good thing about this war, it's that us Kiwis and you Aussies are going to form a bond that's going to last forever. <laughs> Absolutely, copper! You know, copper, in a hundred years, you Kiwis and us Aussies will be fighting the same wars. We may even have the same currency, same airline, same protected animals, like possums. Whoa. You just saved my life. Thanks, Digger. Oh, don't mention it. We're both Anzacs after all. You threw it back under him. That's hardly sporting, Digger. Oh, don't worry about it. Suit yourself. <laughs> hey, do you want a crisp New Zealand apple my sister Rosie sent me from the farm? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's no good. It's not like a flowery, dry one to have back in Aussie. <laughs> hey, uh, if we get out of this conflict, maybe you can get your Aussie mates to buy crisp, sweet kiwi apples. We can't do that. I own an apple orchard. As Goodwill Hunting put it... Hey, Australia! Do you like apples? Yeah. Well, I got a number. How do you like... New Zealand. <laughs> New Zealand apples are going to take the world by storm, alright? Hell! I even have the PR slogan down. We get that Burt Bacharach guy out there tinkling away on his little piano and... What the world needs now is peers, nice New Zealand peers, and crisp, sweet, juicy New Zealand apples. It's one export there's just too little of.
about the America's Cup. Okay, so we won a couple times in a row, until essentially all the top New Zealanders literally jumped ship. Well, maybe not literally, but they got on board another country's yacht instead of our yacht, going for the bigger paycheck over national freaking pride. Traitors! People go where the money is, like wealthy capitalist nations where the broadband isn't handed out and socialist 20 gigabyte a month plans. So, all we have to do is make apple and pear growing in New Zealand more profitable than killing other animals and exploiting their lady bits. As soon as we convince the Americans to pay, hmm, 200 American dollars per apple, 150 bucks a pear, I don't like pears that much, certainly not enough to pay 200 dollars for one. Why, we'll all be rolling in dough, where dough equals money, just to be clear. As Professor Gary Francione mentions, with the example of beef and bananas, farmers follow the money. When it was more profitable to kill sheep in New Zealand, we killed sheep. Now that it's more profitable to exploit the female reproductive system, we exploit motherhood. We followed the money. New Zealand's slaughterhouses and dairy factories are now New Zealand's apple and pear packaging facilities. Hey, I've heard all about this Whole Foods place before, where Americans gleefully pay five times the price for organic, grass-fed, free-range, killed-on-the-same-farm, it, grew-up-on, dead bodies. Five times the bloody price, when surely the cost isn't that much more. Pure profit. $200 per apple from wonderful New Zealand, home of the Hobbit. 70% renewable energy. We gave you the jet boat and the safety pin. You love watching our precious All Blacks, gods amongst men, trample every other country at rugby. Surely that rapidly expanding American middle class will go nuts for New Zealand apples and pears at any price, right? We'll pay off Ralph Nader. New Zealand fruit, a bargain at any price. Because otherwise, as internationally famous New Zealand band Split Ends stated, the New Zealand state would run a deficit. Pete Bethune, Earth Race. Aotearoa means New Zealand in the native Māori language. More worldwide hits from the state-of-the-art New Zealand music industry. Hey, I discovered a new way to freak out the neighbourhood this New Year's Eve. Oh, hello nice neighbours. I wanted to give you a token appreciation for being such great neighbours. So I baked you a cake. It's vegan. Yeah, the pamphlet explains it a little bit. No big deal. Thank you very much, shakes hand, and have a lovely New Year's Eve tonight. Take care, walks off with a smile, leaving bewildered neighbour who's never spoken to me before with the cake. Boston Vegan Association pamphlet with a little note inside, an Invisoc card. Yes, another of my stealth vegan activism ideas. I made three. One for the idiot neighbours who play electronic music until 2am most Friday nights. They weren't home, so after knocking and noticing their weird-as-hell little swipe card electronic lock thing on the door on a normal house, which is rented out, weird, I moved on to the rest home, which is nearby. I thought about the workers helping the residents on New Year's Day, when they could be out boozing it up, flipping cars over and setting them on fire, but no, they had to work changing bedpans and dispensing Flintstones chewable morphine tablets instead. I buzzed at the door, 
a bewildered staff member came out. She didn't seem to have any eyebrows, and she came out to receive the expected beating from the large young man at the door. She oddly took the cake, though. She came back out about five seconds after I left, and asked if I wanted the plastic container, which cost four US dollars, back. I said, no, no, thank you, to her. Your problem now, lady. And finally, I gave a third cake to a family I walk past each day. The mother picks up the kids around the time I finish work. So I often walk past as they're pulling up, and we awkwardly say, uh, hi, uh, <laughs> lovely day today, huh? <laughs> See you about the same time <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> they were apparently home, but didn't answer the door. So after I bas basically broke their gate down to get on their property, the gate is off its hinges at the top, so it kind of diagonally pivots from the remaining bottom connection, I was in a weird enough situation as it was without needing to be seen breaking a gate, so I acted as if that was normal, expected behaviour, like I visit my friends at the house on the corner all the time. Huh. I heard presumably the mother inside, and after an I knocked loudly on the door, I kind of heard her say, Someone's out there! Or something to the other people inside. I thought, oh Christ, she's just out of the shower or something, or doesn't want to be robbed, because there's probably a crime wave of lone men knocking on doors at 2.30pm on the afternoon, on a 30 degree day. They beat the hell out of the person who answers and opens the door, before ransacking the joint, finally locking the house owner into the now ransacking refrigerator, blocking the door closed with furniture. Stay cool in there! <laughs> I left the third cake in the shade by the doorstep. So, people are home slash coming home at all houses. Only one person met me at the door. One out of three. That's kinda bad, as Meatloaf would sing, right? Oh well, I tried something new and went out of my comfort zone. And I got to scare the neighbours while I was at it, so that's, you know, that's something. Another idea, using community notice boards to promote veganism. I glued a couple of my Invisoc cards to the provided bits of card, and will add them to my local supermarket board soon. I have cards from most of our main supermarkets, New World and Countdown, so it's just a matter of visiting the supermarket. Hell, I don't even have to buy anything. Thanks for the free advertising, suckers! Leaving them there, where they stay up for a couple of weeks. My cards have bright, bold colours, so they'll stand out next to the handwritten notes for items such as... Trailers for sale or rent Rooms to let 50 cents No phone, no pool, no pets Ain't got no cigarettes ah, But two hours of pushing And green laser pointer, real bright as It doesn't really cost anything, just you know, the cost of the cards, or if you just want to write on pen, a, a favourite website for someone to visit. And hopefully a one guy, ten people, a hundred people, I don't know. At least more than one person surely will notice, and surely that's something for the no opportunity cost, to educate about veganism by writing on community boards and things. I don't know if all countries have them, but here in New Zealand, we have these animals called worms. Have you heard of them? They're kind of like little snakes. Oh, by the way, we don't have snakes here. We have the little snakes called worms. They live underground, and they tend to come up after heavy rain, so they don't get drowned in all the little underground snake tunnels they like to build. The problem is, when they pop up, they often get stranded on the concrete sidewalk, the pavement, or, as we in New Zealand say, the footpath. I try and scoop up as many as I can, using a piece of cloth or a flat business card works well. I always have Imsoc cards in my pocket. The thing is, there are apparently millions of these tiny snakes, called worms, all over every block. You could always save just one more, but you'll always be turning your back on thousands or millions of others. You simply can't save them all. There are more and more people interested in at least discussing veganism out there, in our own lives, at eco-festivals, schools, cooking classes, and online. Maybe our message jumps out at them from a community notice board at their local supermarket. You never know. Let's talk to them. Even while we're recording a new segment about voice recognition software on iOS and Android smartphones for the BBC that will be broadcast all over the world. Let's talk to them about veganism instead.
One person may never be able to save all the worms who come out of the ground after rain, who end up in gutters and drown. But think about rubbish and recycling bins. One person couldn't put out every recycling bin in the city, not before the giant truck with the grabby robot arm comes and throws the bins in the air and hurls the empty bin through your bedroom window in a display of dominance. There wouldn't be time. How do they get out there? How are they put back inside? Through the work of many, each handling the trivial task. If everyone did what they could to help out others, be they other people, human animals or non-human animals, from hens to dogs to cows to flies trapped inside our houses to worms drowning in gutters or baking on the hot concrete, we'd find out that many hands really did make light work. Like the mighty New Zealand recording industry, we do the best we can with what we have. And, like an apple seed growing into a mighty apple tree filled with apples ripe for the exporting, veganism is growing every month. Further support for an outrageously subsidised New Zealand fruit industry to come, causing farmers to stop harming and killing other animals, and to instead ship all the $200 a piece apples they can to wealthy nations with spare cash lying about for luxury fruit. You know, like America. Apple, no, not the silly record company of the Beatniks or whatever that band from a half century ago was, but Apple Inc., makers of the iPhone, iPad, iPod, and even the iMac. They're currently the second largest company listed on the American stock exchanges, second only to your friend and mine, ExxonMobil. Every now and then, Apple briefly becomes more valuable than the oil company, but what if they were eclipsed by another Apple company, the mighty Enza, New Zealand Apple and Peers? Money doesn't grow on trees, but soon, if I have my way, 200 US dollar apples and 150 US dollar pears soon will. Thank you for listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. You can find the script for this episode, as well as downloads for every episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals at www.coexisting.co.nz If you want to contact me, I'd love to hear from you, like Nick did. Please send me an email to info at invsoc.org.nz And, if you'd like to buy a $200 American apple or a $150 pear, send an email saying, Hey guys, why don't you put up the price? to info at enza.co.nz I think that's their address, something like that, Infoenza, something like that. Uh, I'm sure you, if you just look up, you know, $200 apples on Google, it'll find it for you. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter, Jordan Wyatt, W-Y-A-T-T. Thank you for listening. Away from the notion of animals as things, and toward the moral personhood of animals. The choice is ours. If you're not vegan, go vegan. It's easy, it's better for you, it's certainly better for the planet, and most importantly, it's the morally right thing to do.